10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Welcome to Swansea. Tonight we are talking handwriting on the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm joined by Amanda McLeod, Chair of the National Handwriting Association, and Dan Wright, Deputy Head Teacher in Senko. We're asking questions about handwriting. Ask them along with us. Tune in, talk it out. Off we go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And Borodarpab Kroisoy Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio. And this week, again, we're talking about handwriting. Such a big topic. We did it twice. Um, now, I am joined by two guests this evening, hopefully, Amanda McLeod and Dan Wright. And I'm going to be asking them my questions. Now, I'm hoping I've got someone on the line here. I can't tell from the username. Um, can you hear me? Hello. It should be Amanda McLeod. You are coming through loud and clear. I couldn't tell from the username there for a second, so I had to take a guess. Um, uh, and, and so, welcome. Um, we are expecting Dan Wright, Deputy Head Teacher in Senko, as well, who is going to be answering some of my questions, answering some of your questions. A lot of questions to get through. So, if you are listening in the studio, Dan, click that call in button and you can join us. If you're listening, as a listener, you can, of course, uh, call in if you have questions or you can text them into us through the Podbean app. If you are um, listening with Twitter open as well and you don't have the Podbean app, you can message and make sure you at me in the messages and I will read them out live on air as well. Um, as I say, welcome to Swansea. It actually has been a sunny day today. Normally, I start the show by saying that it has been raining. Um, it, it's not really been raining today, which is a, a massive shock for me because I think it's rained every day since I moved here in September, pretty much. Um, and uh, yeah, I've seen the sea today, which in sunny South Wales, even on a cold day, seeing the sea was lovely. Now, I think we have Dan joining us. Dan, is that you? Uh, it is, yes. Can you hear me okay? You are coming through loud and clear. And so oh, brilliant. Uh, both guests here now, we will start off, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of setting the scene. So if we start with Amanda, um, why don't you tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about yourself, what you currently do and sort of how you got there as well, the career journey so far, if you wouldn't mind. Of course. Hello, everybody. My name is Amanda McLeod. I became a teacher over 20 years ago, and I've worked in nursery and key stage one in state and independent schools. Recently, I've been supply teaching in key stage two. So my interest in handwriting stemmed from a reception child with DCD 
dyspraxia, uh, who was already working at a year one level in September when she started, but she just couldn't write. She had to write her five letter name on paper that had been turned to landscape orientation. And even then, it took up two whole lines with the first three letters of name on the top and the second two letters underneath. So I became a dyslexia specialist in 2007, setting up the McLeod Centre for Learning in London, and then moved sideways into handwriting. I'm the author and consultant of the Scholastic Publishers Handwriting Scheme. I'm chief judge of the SATIPS annual handwriting competition in the UK, and I'm interim chair of the National Handwriting Association. And I also represent the National Handwriting Association, the, the NHA's keyboarding as a means of communication on paper. And I think that. Uh, but that that's it that that is an impressive resume to be answering some of my questions about handwriting um i'm really interested about the handwriting competition element as well which i, I will get onto a little bit later because i want to talk about sort of motivation and maybe you know uh, can we expect too much um when does it become kind of penmanship and calligraphy so hopefully we'll get to talk about that as well now we've also got dan here who's joined us uh dan welcome to teachers talk radio hello it's lovely to be here and again, why don't you set the scene for us? Tell us a little bit about yourself um, so that listeners can know where you're coming from. OK, well, um, to briefly summarise it, um, I started out um, late in my career. I was wayward at school, didn't really take to handwriting, didn't enjoy it. Um, started working with young offenders and youths in EBD and SEN in private facilities and then from there, I started getting more interested in education, went to night school, trained up um, and then got into teaching. Through that, I wanted to become a Senko based on everything that I'd done before. I knew I had a lot of experience to bring to the table and I've been doing that since. I'm now working at um, in a deprived area in Nottingham at um, Snapewood Primary School in Bulwell. Um, and it's just fantastic. I've just taken on my first deputy headship there. I'm the Senko. Um, in charge of nurture, um, mentoring. So it's really, really good and a fascinating role and I'm able to get my fingers in lots of pies. Fantastic stuff. I have to say, I love Nottingham. I was at uni at the, the other one, not the good Nottingham. I went to the other one. I used to live in the meadows down there, which is one of those places that is, has got a lovely name but isn't quite such a lovely uh, place, unfortunately, the meadows in Nottingham. Um, but um, we have um, some interesting perspectives then across our panel and i have already had messages coming in um which will be really uh, interesting to hear your takes on some of these things but we're gonna start off um talking about early in our careers and this is where you know i want to talk about your expectation your experiences sorry of training you've had training that you think is going on at the moment and your experiences of other people's attitudes towards handwriting. Now, if we start with Amanda, what do you think the impression of handwriting is out there? How much support are people getting? Um, what are we working with when we talk about handwriting? Well, I was listened to last week's uh, podcast, obviously, and I was really pleased to hear that um, Sue Schmidt of Morell's um, handwriting, who I know well, has established handwriting training at Warwick University. Uh, because otherwise, I'm told there's almost 
zero training um, or simply one afternoon dedicated to it in a student's whole um, uh, training process. I believe it's non-existent at secondary, but I'd love to learn that I'm wrong and I'd love to be corrected if I'm wrong about the lack of training as well. And um, of course, a trainee occupational therapist or physiotherapist will learn much more about the movement needs of handwriting and places like Grinnell University with Dr. Prunty, who's the NHA's chair, are amazing places um, to... Um Okay, so we're kind of setting that scene there that maybe there isn't a lot of information out there. It's probably worth me saying at this point, as much as I, I am primary trained, I now work in secondary and in secondary alternative provision where handwriting is um, sometimes a barrier to children getting their work done or at least feeling confident in their work. And um, yeah, when I talk to colleagues, you know, I would I would verify what you're saying about um, training for secondary school teachers. If we go over to Dan, after I've insulted your hometown earlier, I realise. Uh, but um, Dan, what's your experience of training that you had or training that you see people coming into the profession or possibly teachers' attitudes towards handwriting? What's the state of play for handwriting at the moment? Well, I think, unfortunately, I'm going to have to mirror a lot of what Amanda was saying. Um, certainly when I did my training, I didn't receive any anything on handwriting um, other than really your expectation from your mentor as a primary um, teacher, which was you had to have neat handwriting. I mean, I started out as a cover supervisor in a secondary school and there it was pretty apparent that any handwriting on the board, any modelling of that was was acceptable. And it wasn't until I went into a primary school that it was suddenly, hold on a second, suddenly there's expectations, suddenly there's certain ways of, of being, certain ways of doing, um, but it was never really unpicked or, or talked about. Certainly when I spoke to other colleagues as part of my master's research, they've not received any training. I did a Twitter poll a couple of years ago and lots of people were saying they don't have any training. Um, and it's, it's no surprise really. We've got a lot of, lot of technology coming in, people, People are maybe relying on that more and more these days. Um, but there's certainly attitudes don't seem to have changed. And a lot of the research is a few years old now, but it's not really coming into schools. And it's great to hear what Amanda was saying, that Warwick University are now picking it up. Um, it shows that, that something's actually happening now, and maybe that'll, that'll start the flood. Well you have segued me beautifully to my first, and this one I, I haven't primed you for because this is a, a cooler uh, question. Um, and um, uh, I'm going to read it out to you. It's about research and it's about where it comes from. And, and this message came in on Twitter uh, and someone was asking, um, they attended training on handwriting, is, is what the tweet says, and um, it made reference uh made no references to um the research evidence around the handwriting um obviously handwriting there is research available you know we are trying to be research informed um if we start off amanda what is the the kind of evidence that's out there what is the research pointing towards to what we should be doing for re for handwriting 
Well, firstly, just to say quickly more on the current state, unlike countries such as France, we don't have a national handwriting style. Um, and in my opinion, we've resulted in a bit of a mess, but that's my opinion. Um, teachers have a really hard job out there and they try their best. Um, as you mentioned last week, teachers are learning from older practitioners and hark back to their own school days. However, younger teachers are suffering as they may have, they may have learned to write from teachers who like them now had no formal training. Um, in April 21, as in last year, the government um, um, brought out a footnote in the national curriculum, um, which is titled The Validation of Systematic Synthetic Phonics Programme. Um, and in that, um, for the very first time, they, the government has started saying that um, children should not be taught to join letters or start every letter on the line with a lead-in. Um, and then it goes on to say, because these practices cause unnecessary difficulty for beginners. Um, it's then in June, July 21, they added to um, the reading framework, uh, where it said, again, um, lead-in strokes should not be um, um, included from the line in letters, uh, because handwriting is really hard. And that's very good news. So I would like uh, more schools to be aware of this. As I said, it was brought out in a footnote, which is quite, um, uh, not, not schools aren't aware of this. Um, and it's great news, the government has decided, uh, because there is a lot of research to say that, as you discussed last week, that lead-in strokes can tire the writer and can lead to hand cramping. It doesn't make any difference to speed. And actually with any child with SEND, leading SEND, uh, special educational needs disabilities, um, leading strokes can cripple that child's handwriting because it can Okay, and you know, uh, uh, really interesting that it comes from the government kind of in a footnote there. It is something that I noticed at the time only accidentally because I was interested in purchasing a new phonics scheme for the school I was working at, and yeah, stumbled across this little nugget about handwriting. Now, another bit I want to pick up on there from you was about um, different countries having different handwriting styles you know i uh, along those lines so we can't necessarily then compare country for country i would imagine then that the the french uh, any sort of research that they would have on handwriting would be entirely different to what we're experiencing because they 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 have a more um cursive style is it well, I'm not sure that the research behind the handwriting is going to be different because, I mean, there's a, a really interesting um, conference happening in America over this weekend by the Handwriting Collaborative. And it's actually got one of the keynote, keynote speakers is um, uh, as one of the NHA executive committees, Dr. Anna Barnett, and she's talking at that. Um, handwriting, when it comes down to it, is your your body movement as well as your your cognitive side. Um, so the research is all there, but um, yes, different countries have different styles. And um, 
Um, with regards, as I said, to the lead-in strokes, it's, 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 it's very contentious. Uh, people will get very um, uh, um, upset about it and stick firmly in their beliefs. It did come from uh, sort of dyslexia uh, research, originally thinking that it helped all children to know that their letters started um, on the line. But uh, the research behind that, uh, I'm not quite sure where that is. Okay, so I'm getting a picture then of there is research, it's maybe not getting through to the classroom in the same way that other areas of research might be. I would agree with that, yes. Um, you wanted to ask later on about handwriting interventions and programmes, and I can certainly talk uh, talk about that. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to throw over to Dan. Um, you mentioned a master's. Um, what's your experience of research behind handwriting and, and it getting through to classroom teachers' actual practice? Yeah, well, I think when uh, that caller came to mind, uh, it brought to mind a quote that I'd, I'd just heard the other day, actually, and I can't remember who said it, but it was, you know, everything, everything that we do works somewhere, but nothing works everywhere. And I think a lot of the time, and, and Twitter's terrible for it, people will find something that worked in somebody's class and they're very keen to pick it up and run with it and attempt it in their own space without actually unpicking the context of it, how it works and, and really getting to the, to the underpinnings of that research. Um, and I think, I think that's why a lot of it doesn't necessarily get shared or bad practice perhaps gets shared. Um, my own experience was the reason why I got into handwriting. Before this, I was always very much thinking, we need to go down the technology, technological route. We've got computers, we've got iPads, kids know how to use them. Why are we still leaning on this archa archaic form? Um, and I couldn't get my head around it at all, why, why we were still persisting with this. Um, but then when the children came back after you know, the first and second lockdown and they came back to school and I was teaching a class of year five and sixes and their handwriting when they, when they came back um, was absolutely shocking. And it was because they just hadn't had the practice. And I suddenly realized that actually this, this was holding them back. It wasn't that they could be scruffy and get away with it. It was actually causing them, causing them damage and they were not able to access the work. And that's when I started to go, right, I need to look at the research, research here. When I first looked, it's, you know, fill in lots of worksheets, do some extra worksheets. I thought this isn't going to work. Um, I've done studies before. So started looking at university libraries and came across the likes of um, Jay Medwell in Ray um, and Sassoon and then started to piece it all together for myself. And I think that's what we forget as educators, that actually, you know, we've all been to university. We are capable of collating research ourselves. And then it was it was pulling it all together. I know Amanda mentioned earlier about how excited she is with those different styles and getting rid of the ex, um, entrance stroke. But for me, in one of my schools I worked at, actually putting in the entrance stroke, actually those children learnt it much better. Now, granted, there were some SEM pupils who didn't, but I think it's our position then to go, well, actually, they don't have to. Some people can write with the lead-ins because that's better for them. Some people don't have to. And I think we need to stop with this one-size-fits-all, but actually find a, a way through the mud by finding things that work for each individual child because you know one thing's going to work somewhere but nothing's going to work everywhere 
Um, I find that really interesting, uh, particularly as I'm hoping later on to talk about um, sort of policies and the implementation maybe of of handwriting. Uh, and particularly in my experience, it's it's somewhere between that of someone saying, we want the school policy to be this. And then people trying to do the best thing and, and sometimes rigidly sticking to that policy and almost to the expense of children who... Um, maybe need something different or maybe it's, it's it's a guidance and so particularly when we get onto interventions you know I, I think that's an area i'd really love to unpick now i do realize we've i've thrown you off on a complete tangent so we're going to get back on track um with where we're going and it is uh, kind of off another segue from you down there about handwriting in the digital age uh, you know, um, and many people uh, might be listening or many people might be of the opin- opinion, Amanda, that, yeah, you know, handwriting is archaic, is a, is, is, you know, it's a, it's a dead thing. We no longer need it because it will all be done with our thumb on a computer screen from now on. So why is handwriting still important? Do you think? Well, firstly, can I say that what Dan said was absolutely on the ball it was completely correct um uh in that we need to go with what the children need and that's 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 so important and also to say that although i don't want to see leading strokes being taught I actually love what they look like when it's written well. It's, it's, it's stunning. It's beautiful. And I know that, Nathan, that last week you said, um, you said that you'd, you'd, you'd done wrong things when teaching handwriting. And I know that my first school policy that I ever wrote was a school policy that had leading strokes. But as Dan, as you said, we are all good practitioners and we all look to make sure that we are keeping up with our research so that we know. So coming on to that with the digital age, I actually just gave two lectures precisely on that at the end of last year. Um, And as it was mentioned last week, there is evidence to show that those who handwrite have better recall and understanding of what they've written. Uh, In order of memory, it goes Joined writing is the strongest, then print writing, then touch typing, and then untrained typing, the old what's called hunt and peck typing. So you're looking for a key and then you go and peck at it with your fingers. The reason, as I said, we still need to do handwriting is from um, a recall and understanding point of view. But also we still do all our public exams on paper, unless keyboarding is a normal mode of work. So if handwriting is not kept up, and I know there's been a lot of news recently of schools who are only using iPads because they're not doing the handwriting, but those schools, the research shows, are actually going to suffer later on. It will be interesting to follow up those schools in a few years' time, because if handwriting is not kept up, legibility and speed can decrease because it's not been practiced exactly as you said Dan and I see many students who having just done their GCSE mocks have been sent to me in a panic by their schools because they've been typing their essays for quite a few years their handwriting legibility or lack of speed has been missed by their teachers but we do live in a dual modal society and therefore we need to have 
both. And touch typing and handwriting are both motor skills that need to be taught correctly. Um, an absolutely uh, lovely answer there. I really like this idea and that I've not heard that before about the distinction between I knew that handwriting uh, was better at, at helping you learn um, than um, typing, but I'd never heard that distinction between the, the joined and the printed handwriting. And so is that to do with sort of fluency with the, the fact that you're concentrating less? <laughs> Uh, it seems to be, yes, because when you're handwriting, you're actually writing more slowly. And it's also firing different uh, neurons in the brain from um, where the typing. Oh, you know, little bits, these little nuggets of wisdom that, 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 that crop up every now and again, I just find so fascinating. Um, and Dan, you've already mentioned a little bit about, you know, being a, a you know, a, a technologically minded person, possibly in the past. Um, you, you mentioned about sort of yourself training as a, a teacher and about the, the modelling. Uh, when you're explaining to a child then about their, their handwriting, obviously you're, you're a primary school teacher, so you wouldn't be mentioning GCSEs as I might be. I, you know, I'm sat there going, a marker needs to read it in GCSEs. How do you explain it as being important to the, the year fives and sixes? Yeah, it's an interesting one because you've, you find that you have to sell it. You are competing against the technology. Um, but I think once they understand that it is about um, them having agency, they're not reliant on technology. They're not waiting to charge, uh, charge up a device. They can get that pen and paper and do something. Um, and when we've, when we've looked at it in terms of why we're writing the way we do, I mean, Amanda brought it up before, you know, um, the idea that you remember things better when it's joined up. I mean, originally, I think the studies got us down the joining up route because it was easier to remember spellings and spelling patterns. And, and that's why we do it now. Um, but we try and dig a little bit deeper and go, well, actually, the reason why we join up is because you've got to think. And I always use the analogy of either Mo Farah or Usain Bolt or even a, an F1 car driver. You know, if they've got to get and stop and, and get out the car on every corner, they're going to slow down. Whereas it's actually we can we can use those corners to help funnel us into the next channel, go round the bends. Then suddenly they they understand and they, they can see why that's important. And it's it's interesting because we, we assess a lot in schools and, you know, there's there's many a good reason to say, you know, hold hold the phone. We, we assess too much. But actually. Um, we've got it at the beginning that they need to learn their letter shapes and actually tagged on to the end of year six. Well, they, they can't pass year six as being expected unless they can do that joined up writing. Yet there's nothing in between. We don't we don't monitor the speed of writing. We don't monitor the legibility, but actually giving children ownership over that, making it very clear where they're at in terms of speed, their legibility and giving them channels to work in so they can see that improvement themselves actually they find it really powerful i was speaking to um one of my year sixes earlier this was last year and he constantly huddled over his work he didn't want anyone to see he he felt shame of his handwriting but after doing some interventions after explaining the importance of it and him him really understanding it he came out of his own and he suddenly was sat up properly he was suddenly proud of his work but, but you have to understand it yourself. You have to understand that research, like that caller mentioned. 
people need to know the research and the reasons behind it because actually the children need to know as well. They're not stupid. They're not there to be spoon fed. They want to know why. And uh, I will say for our research uh, question answering, uh, asking caller um, uh, who did message in, that when we talk about the fluency, I've got a reference here because I'm literally looking at it. I don't know how to say this author's name, Tuka Tusha um, et al, talking about a red light analogy and about the kind of velocity and keeping a smooth movement was apparently something that, that they were looking for rather than a jagged stop start to handwriting. Um, I don't know if I've got that name right. Either of you might be able to correct me. I've only ever—it's one of those ones that I've only ever seen written down. And so I, I like uh, quinoa and quinoa, which I never knew how to say as a child. But yeah, if you are looking, um, Tuka T U C H A, uh, two thousand and eight. Um, now we've had another text in uh, from the studio from Andrew Farmer, just saying: Is there an argument for teaching handwriting? Basis of learning how to create something beautiful manually in a world that's increasingly few of us have manual skills um, I'm going to put that one towards Amanda first of all uh, handwriting as an expression of self as a an artistic act um, is there a benefit to that in itself um, well, to answer Andrew's um, um, question, we need to have three forms of writing, neat, ordinary and speed, uh, all of which need to have fluency and automaticity uh, so that we can do it. But I agree with you, Andrew, there is a lot of, we're going to be, well, come on to the EYFS um, um, later on, uh, which is uh, fabulous for developing those skills. But as soon as children get into the key stage one, a lot of the, the motor skills that they need to develop for good handwriting aren't concentrated on uh, anymore. And um, so where we end up in the future, whether we end up um, um, using computers more or handwriting, nobody, none of us are going to know. Um, but certainly, what I wanted to say on the speed that was mentioned a moment ago, there's something called the DASH test, which is the detailed assessment of speed of handwriting, which goes from eight years of age. And it's normed. And it's used a lot by SENDCOs to assess whether a child has got fast enough handwriting to warrant extra time in exams. But I used to do that uh, as part of a course on a whole uh, year three class just to see where they are to sort of to, to work out which children will need more help uh, with their handwriting because Again, it was mentioned last week, something called the legibility bias, which is if a someone has got harder to read handwriting, then they are going to get subliminally marked down in their exams. It's an unfortunate effect that neater handwriting and more clear handwriting, more clear handwriting will um, examiners will spend more time and give and, and give those people more um, 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 more um, can't think of my words um, um, will give them um, points if they feel that um, maybe they're trying to find the right answer and they haven't got there they'll give them more and I'm going to throw the same question then over to Dan. Um, from an aesthetic 
point of view um you know if there was a child in your class and we're talking primary now for you but i certainly have seen this myself with you know some children i had an italian girl who joined my year five class once she had the most amazing handwriting but it set off a kind of practicing of the other children of um some of her friends then that she made that that maybe took it too far in my opinion at some points what do you think um dan is handwriting as a as an aesthetic activity in itself is it a worthwhile pursuit um i think it could be a worthwhile pursuit but i think that would have to be um done away from the classroom if that was something you're interested in um the first thing i've done at my school is is ban that word neat because we get into our head that actually handwriting needs to be so neat that it looks printed. Um, and I, I think I hinted at that, um, talking about the, the child before, that he had this sense of shame on his handwriting. Because it seems like a lot of the schemes that you buy are looking for this sense of perfection. And girls seem to be able to master that earlier on. And actually, I've had lots of girls... Who, t- who will tell me as their teacher that they're a good writer. Yeah, I look at the content and go, well, some of that, that's not good. You're not a good writer. But actually what they are is very neat. They've been able to create this, this wonderful tapestry, if you will, almost calligraphy in action. Um, whereas I've had some boys who have got some fantastic ideas. The grammar's been right, but their writing, I mean, it looks ugly, but they see themselves because of that, that it's, that they're a bad writer because they associate it with that. That's the visuals that they're getting. So we have to take that away. And I've banned me. And the reason being is that if we're trying to take, if we're trying to create these manuscripts like monks would have done, well, they were copying. So all they had to concentrate on at the time was copying. And that's great if that's what you want to do. That's an art form in itself. But I think in terms of the classroom, there's so much going on there that actually that that neat handwriting, well, actually, that's that's too much. There's, there's too much to be that's going on. And I th- we get it, we'll get on to that, I think, a, a little bit later in terms of cognitive load, the other expectations of the curriculum, the reasons why we need automatic and fluent handwriting. And that's what we try and teach it, why it needs to be fluent why it needs to be automatic and why it needs to be legible to the reader. It doesn't need to be a work of art. Fantastic. Um, you know, it is, I will say that as much as, you know, we are saying, you know, this is about taking pressure off, I guess, and expectation off because in my free time, I do deliberately affect things into my handwriting, um, but not in time. You know, it's a, it's an addition in something that I do, um, sort of of my own accord outside of learning lesson time if that would make sense because um, you know I, I as I say I do I, I fall onto the line of slightly affected handwriting um, now um, we are going to a, a quick ad break when we come back I've had another amazing lots of messages in I will say a message about um, uh, left-handedness and so we'll start off just after the break's talking about left-handedness. So for all of you, we are here. We are with Amanda McLeod and Dan Wright. We're talking about handwriting. Join everyone else. We are getting messages on Twitter. We are getting texts into the show in Podbean. Uh, Ask your questions, ask away, and we'll see you on the other side of these ads. 
Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full, free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. I'll just check that our guests are still with us. We're talking to Amanda McLeod. Are you still here? Fabulous stuff. And Dan Wright, Deputy Head and Senko. Absolutely. Fantastic. I like to check just in case I haven't, haven't lost you. Now, I do prime our guests with some questions in advance, but we are live for a reason, and it's to answer your questions. Now, this one came in on email from Mark Stewart, um, who goes by uh, Left and Right UK, right as in writing with a W uh, on Twitter. And, and I'm going to ask this to the guys here because we haven't in these two episodes really delved into left handedness. Um, so it says, um, over the past 27 years, I've been helping left-handed children with their handwriting in the national curriculum. Um, there is a section on handwriting, which is statutory. However, this section states left-handers should, and he's got in brackets there, not must, uh, have appropriate guidance. However, this was non-statutory. I would argue that handwriting for left-handed children is harder than for right-handers. And as left-handers come from uh, behind the writing, oh, sorry, uh, as left-handers comes from behind the writing, whereas right-handers are, are always drawing the pen away from the writing. Yes, um, it can take 10 minutes or, or so um, to show a left-handed child without poor technique, no smudging, no cramped hooked style, um, and I'm right-handed. Now, We've said at the very start that there isn't hardly any guidance or training really for teachers as they're starting. Left-handing is is even harder. Um, I assume this is what I hear, but again, you know, I've not been trained in such a way. But Amanda, can you tell us a little bit about the difficulties left-handers might face and, and, and kind of how we adapt our practice to meet those needs? 
I certainly can, um, and this is this is a, um, a, a a very heartfelt topic for me. I'm right-handed. My six-year-old son, just six-year-old, is left-handed, uh, and I was actually on a um, the television through Radio Link several several years ago on uh, uh, the Right Stuff, um, which was with Robert Wright, and um, it started up and. And he said, he said, I'm left handed. I've got bad handwriting. And I replied, and I do hope that his teacher who taught him handwriting was listening to it. And I said, no, you've got you're not you've not got bad handwriting because you're left handed. You've got bad handwriting because you're probably holding your pen um, um, in, in hook grip and things like that, because it is absolutely correct that left handers are pushing across the page and most pens and i'm talking ink pens here are um are made to be pulling across a page so that the ink can flow out nicely now i know that morel handwriting works very closely with um a company called anything left-handed and one can get left-handed nibs if a child is going to be using a um, um a fountain pen so that they um, the, the cut of the nib is cut so that they can um and slide across the page more. However, what is important with the left-handers is for the teachers to, as you said, to teach them correctly from the start. And to my horror the other day, I walked into my son's classroom and I saw that he'd been placed next to a right-hander so that his elbows, the, the right hand or the left hand, as their elbows would be clashing when they're writing. And I thought that that piece of information that had, as don't sit a left hander next to a right hander, had fed through um, years ago into schools. But the fact that it obviously hasn't. Uh, now, the National Handwriting Association does have lots of guidance, which uh, can be useful for teachers. But essentially, um, yes, teach them good hand position, teach them to come underneath their line so that their fingers are, um, are pushing the pen um, and manipulating the letters formation so that they don't smudge. And the other important thing is that a teacher should, if, if, if he or she is teaching handwriting, should demonstrate letter formation with both their right and their left hand. Now, obviously, if they're right-handed, the writing's not going to look as good um, at when it's left-handed and uh, vice versa. However, it doesn't matter if the writing doesn't look as good uh, because it shows to the children of the opposite hand, that that teacher is aware of their needs and can talk through what they need to be doing. Wow. Uh, you know, my mind has, has you know, I'm, I'm sat here kind of, why hadn't I thought of this? Um, that, you know, I used to teach outdoor pursuits, and if I was modelling to a left-hander, a bow and arrow, I would do it left-handed. And I, you know, in, I have never considered then necessarily that at times maybe switching or teaching myself to be ambidextrous beyond I, I, 
I did it a bit to learn what it was like to be a new writer, I guess. I guess. But I, I'm going to throw that over to Dan. What do you think about that? What what issues do you see with left-handers? Has it fed through to your school? They're not clicking, banging elbows. And, and also, how would you feel about telling staff, you know, learn to write with your other hand as well? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because there were there were some key points in there. And I think certainly where they're sitting, how you got your room layout is really, really important. That left-hander, they do need to be on the end of the table with their left hand facing out so they've got that space. That's really, really important. Um, and we spoke about different nibs and tips, and you can get pencil grips. But I think the one for me that's most difficult with left-handers is if you're writing with a, your right hand and in your in your pen grip as you normally would and I think be it left hand or right hand getting that grip's important the amount of times I go into classroom and you've got children grabbing at it or it's coming out their knuckles I was showing a year three class yesterday actually I held I held the pen in my knuckles and showed them the level of movement I had and then compared that to using three fingers with the rest and again I use the football I always come back to sports analogies because Actually, it's a physical thing that we're doing as well and showed them that, you know, with my three fingers, I'm more like I'm more like a top footballer because I've got all that movement. I can dribble. I can go anywhere. If I'm locked on the spot, I need to do that. The problem is, is as a right handed writer, I can see every letter as I'm writing. I'm going up. I'm going across the page and I can see it. So not only have I got the physicality of it, I can see that image in my head. I'm getting that feedback instantly. However, if we map over and do the same handwriting with our left hand, actually, a lot of the time, the way the children are sat, the hand itself, their thumb, actually gets in the way because of where they're writing, because of where they are on the page. And they, they can't see the writing because the hand is coming across. Um, and I, I didn't know what to do, but I found a great book. Uh, it's called Improve Your Handwriting um, by... Sassoon, Rosemary Sassoon. And she wrote this uh, a good while ago. Um, you can pick it up for about four quid now, like secondhand. Great, great book. Lots of interventions, lots of strategies, lots of information in there. And actually, one of her things that she was saying is actually train up your left-handed um, pupils to hold the pen between their, their first two knuckles and their finger. So they've still got a three tripod, but they're moving the pen across in between their knuckles. And that way, when they're writing, they can have a similar experience to the right-handers because they can see the letter as it's forming. They know if they've not got it wrong, they've got that instant feedback. They're not just writing blind, which is what happens so often. Sorry, I... yeah, you 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 caught me there. I was practicing it on my on my bit of paper next to me, trying that. Sorry, yeah, um, Amanda. Sorry, you were going to come in with something. I was going to say, absolutely right. That's an alternative hold that's very efficient, um, and uh, which I can talk about later. The other things that useful for left-handed is to put an elastic band around the writing pen or pencil slightly higher up uh, than a right-handed person would hold because that enables them to move, to be able, if their hand is further away from the paper, then they can see more of what's going on. And also to teach a left-hander that they need to position, given that they 
given the classroom is big enough for them to do this, because quite often tables are small, but a left-hander and a right-hander should actually put their paper onto the side of their body that they are, that they're of the hand that they write with. So if you imagine their nose and the nose going down, that's your midline. Any writing paper should be on either the left-hand side or the right-hand side of your nose and pushed further away than the average child's paper book is put them because usually you go into classes there's not much space all the books are straight in front of their of their tummy button and so when they're getting down to the bottom of that page they're having to cramp and their and their 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 their, their hands and their, their their wrists are hooking around so Putting the tape paper sideways and up enables enables both right-handers and left-handers to be able to get their hands underneath their writing so they can see what is on their line. Another good book, Sassoon, is brilliant. Um, again, National Handwriting Association does a really good anything left-handers um, uh, tips for left-handers, which was written by one of our old committee members. And you know i find this so fascinating because it is like you know it, I, i've sat and i've written out in an equivalent style to what i would say maybe a year year our pupil on, on the pad next to me in my left hand just trying out these things that, that, that you're saying um incredibly fascinating but we fall back again to the um the fact that if we're not giving training or, or teachers or schools aren't deploying enough time to training handwriting at all then to to teach handwriting for left-handers i i would probably echo what the the caller has texted in there saying that that maybe there is a particular niche there and i'll, I'll throw this over to dan just to <laughs> left being left-handed is not an sen need but i would imagine that it would be something that someone would come to the senko in their school to ask about potentially because of these issues is it something that people have come to you about uh, yes they certainly have and i think it may not be um the writing itself the handwriting but if they can't get the handwriting right that leads us on to the rest of our writing or the composition the understanding the ideas that getting the information down they'll often come to me and say well they just can't think of anything to say or the great one is they can come up with lovely ideas in their head and they tell me, but they just can't get it down on paper. I think there's something wrong, you know, and and it's very likely that they are left handed or a bit scruffy. And you're thinking, well, actually, it's it's not any of that that's holding them back. It's 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 the left hand and certainly the teaching of the left hand. I mean, there's enough people with right hand issues as well, but that left hand needs it needs unpicking more. It needs drilling down and they need they need to know. I'd be interested to find out how, how many teachers out there are actually aware of which children in their class are left-handed. Can they pull them out? Can they can they pull them off the top of their head? Because actually they need to know in a lesson who they, who they are because they need those slight adaptations, as Amanda's already told us. So if, you, if you're not aware of those, then they are going to fall behind, not because of the SEN need, but actually because of the, the formality and the way we write is left to right. And it, it, that's just the way of it. They just need that adaptation to help them along. Um, and I would even bring that back to this idea that, you know, where you sit the children in your class, I was told it, but I couldn't, I wouldn't, I was told it in a, 
uh, hand-me-down, um, you know, uh, classroom practice type conversation. It was never given to me as a, a piece of instruction or a piece of, you know, is very much. And so I could see that that is something that could get missed, could get overlooked, um, could not get picked up on because there is no formality, uh, as we say, to um, some of the handwriting training that's going on. Uh, around some of these uh, these issues, and so they they develop and, and and come later on. Now, I want to bring us back to some of my intended questions because I want to talk a little bit about. We've talked a bit about getting it right early on, but I wanted to ask, and we'll start with Amanda about what we should be doing. You know, I'm I'm sat here at home, and I should be as a teacher doing a better job with my two and four year old. Um, but what can I be doing with them? They're pre writing. But, you know, they can just about, my, my four-year-old can start, can do letters and, and things like that. But what can I be doing sort of to, to, to really get it, um, the early skills in place? Does it, you know, should I be starting now or do I just wait until school starts? You certainly start now. Uh, I remember when I was looking at nurseries for my three-year-old son and the nursery that I chose, uh, the reason I chose it was when I was going around on the nursery tour, the head of that nursery uh, said, and children, parents ask me about handwriting and I go and tell them to get their child to climb a tree. And then she went on to say, and yes, those are real saws behind me on the bench. And yes, we let the children use them. And I went, that's the nursery for my child. Because at the um, pre-writing stage, the EYFS, which goes from birth to the end of a reception, the early years foundation stage, it's fabulous. It's got everything in there, the physical development, the expressive arts, the design and the literacy, all the ideas there to build up the gross motor, the fine motor, the core stability, the hip, the, the hip stability, the shoulder stability, the upper arm strength, the wrist stability, the wrist strength and the fine motor skills and the visual skills needed to develop handwriting. Uh, again, I, uh, I refer, continue to refer back people back to National Handwriting Association because there are tons of um, uh, tons of resource ideas there that can be picked up. Um, but what we need to be aware of is that whilst the EYFS is fabulous for the nursery, there's a sudden gap in reception where it simply goes on to say children need to be writing by its end. And there are no specific notes on when or how to teach. And I find that lots of teachers don't know, well, lots of people don't know that handwriting is cognitive, motor, and visual. Uh, and all of those elements go into teaching handwriting. Um, Yes, we have to understand that teachers have a, a proscriptive phonics syllabus. Um, and I guess we've all seen the synthetic phonics news today. But again, there's nothing about handwriting to help them. So in reception, most teachers will tie uh, handwriting into the phonics curriculum. But in that first week of teaching, S-A-T-I-P-N, children will be expected to write three different letter forms. So S and A come from the C family where they're going up, back and around. T and I come from the 
L family where they go straight down and P and N come from the R family where they're going down, freezing, then coming back up and over. And they're teaching these letters, let alone any of the motor side, and they're teaching these letters usually with no analysis of the strokes involved in the letters. So what I suggest when I do insets is I tell schools to concentrate on patterning work first, the straight downs, the down, up and over, the up, back and around and the zigzags. And then when you come to teaching a new letter, you get children to recognize it cognitively, what pattern the letter fits into. So if, for instance, you're teaching the N in the first week, the children will be able to say, oh, yes, it's the down, freeze, up and over patterns that go with R, M, H, B, P, and the circle K. And if children are able to understand it cognitively, even at reception level, I taught this when my son was three before he started, um, before he started at um, uh, um, his school because his school do entrance strokes and I didn't want him to do entrance strokes. So I taught him before he started reception. I was using that cognitive um, side and it's it works if you use words like ascender and descender it doesn't matter how old they are as long as it's consistent and um, however you do need to know that the national um, the, the, the government um, in the department of education's guidance in july 2021 in the reading framework actually now states that learning to form letters and spell words requires considerable effort and attention. Schools, therefore, should consider the advantages to children of delaying the teaching of joined writing. Uh, and I would totally agree with that. It's the gross side, the fine motor side, and the visual side that... Fantastic. Well, you know, I think there is um, a, a lot to un uh, um unpick there about the thing you know how we conceptualize handwriting without rushing straight in so i want to throw over to dan and ask him you know as a, a deputy head primary school in england so we we, we kind of can can picture there, there would be an early years classroom i'm going to guess dan that you might be popping into um what would you want to see as good early writing work going on in your school well like amanda said uh, a lot of what we'd see in a good early year setting is those opportunities for those fine motor and gross motor skills. So we want to see children playing with Lego and Play-Doh and jigsaws and painting and drawing and doing all those mark making. Um, that's really, really important. And I think anyone working in early years and um, within primary schools, actually, I think that's quite well understood. I think, I think everyone's pretty happy with that. I remember speaking to a parent years ago when they're, their son, who would always talk about Lego, didn't seem to have very good handwriting. And I said to mum, he, he talks about Lego. Does, does he do Lego? Does he do like these fine motor skills? And she goes, yes, he does every night. And I, and I couldn't work it out because, you know, he's doing all these fine motor practices. Why is that not transferring straight over to the page? Because, you know, that's that's what current sort of wisdom tells us. Um, but I think there's more to that. Children also... And uh, it was highlighted before, they need that attention. They need that focus. And part of that is knowing how to sit. 
And, you know, you only have to look at a small child in a in an assembly or on a bus and you see some head shaking from side to side. You've got some wigglies going on on the bottom. They're, they're little fidgets. And actually, that's not a good place to be handwriting when your whole body's fidgeting because they want all that focus on, on the end of that pen. So actually just learning how to sit is really, really important. And then beyond that, they need a chance to hold the pen. It's all very well going fine motor, fine motor. But if they don't have a chance to hold the pen, they'll never get to learn to use the tool. I think Jay Medwell says it. Actually, a lot of the time, what children need is more writing. If you want to get better at something, do more of it. Um, so it's a mixture of all those things. Um, certainly when we come to lesser shapes, that's that's how they should be taught. That's how we do it at our school. So they uh, start learning the letter A, then D, then G, because they can see from that A, they'll put a stick on them and realise, oh, yes, that's a D as well. Or they'll put a descender on it to turn it into a G and they'll go, oh, yes, that's a descender. Um, that's the A as well. And when they start matching up these shapes and understanding that they can identify it and then go making it. And then hearing that teacher talk going along with it in the classroom all the while, giving them more opportunities to write, that is, at the end of the day, going to help them. Thank you. Uh, I, you know, I'm jotting down furiously here so many key takeaways from this show for me. Uh, my my favourite at the moment is um, that Sapin is, yeah, as you've both said, is uh, um, for those of you listening from a secondary background, Sapin would be the first six phonic sounds that you generally learn in most schemes: the S sound, the A sound, the T, and so on. But as far as learning handwriting, that is an incredibly complicated mix when you consider you could be learning similar shapes like the A and then the D and then the C, as Dan suggested, you know, just thinking a little more deeply about these things that maybe don't get given enough time. Now, again, Dan, I'm going to have to pay you for, for segueing me, talking about things we can do because we are going to go to the news and the ads. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about things that you can do. So some of the interventions that we think work the best about improving different uh, difficulties that people can have with handwriting. Amanda, are you okay to stick around? Fantastic. And Dan, okay to stick around? Yeah, I'm definitely keen to learn more too. Fantastic. Well, I will check in with both of you after the ads. We'll see everyone uh, after the ads, the news and the tech update. So we'll see you all on the other side. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full, free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers 
and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to the Education Authority in Northern Ireland, 18 out of 38 post-primary schools have fewer than 500 pupils, and this is unsustainable. The Education Authority has placed the cost of teaching a pupil at 30 to 80% higher for a relatively small school compared to a larger school. The EA's draft plan for the next five years also highlights a need for 2,000 additional places for pupils in special schools, many of which have a shortage of places. The Strategic Plan for 2022 to 2027 states... While aiming to support sustainable rural provision, there are still too many small, unsustainable schools. There may be some local circumstances where provision will be necessary, but the determination of this will be subject to consultation, assessment and rationale for provision. In Nottinghamshire, there is mounting concern over a rise in children missing lessons as statistics show a 111% increase in school refusers between autumn 2020 and summer 2021. 125 pupils refused to attend school compared to 59 the previous year and there were also 157 pupils missing as a result of mental health issues a rise of 63%. Councillor Jim Creamer said, These are very high percentage numbers. It is definitely going in the wrong direction. What has gone wrong and what are we doing to address these figures? It does concern me about mental health because of COVID. There are going to be serious issues in more formative years. The National Deaf Children's Society has said that face masks have made lip reading impossible and cover up facial expressions. They are urging parents of deaf children across England to email the Education Secretary, Nadeem Sahawi, to raise the issue. The NDCS want the government to provide clear face coverings in schools and colleges with deaf pupils. The government is set to review the use of face masks in secondary schools and colleges in England on January the 26th. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week Steve has lost his voice, so I am going to take a look at visualising in the classroom. 
Before I begin this is not about which product is best and comparing brands and features. This is about what you need to consider to make the best choice for your school or department. Visualizing in the classroom in my opinion is getting something that would be difficult to see into a format that a whole class can see more easily. This may be a live moving image or a still image. Also, it may be projected onto a large screen or cast out to multiple devices. The whole idea is it makes something small more accessible. The list of devices that can do this is huge, but they fall, roughly, into three categories. Visualizers, document cams and webcams. What is the difference? In sport the definition of fitness is the ability to cope with the environment around you. When you are purchasing a device, this is what you need to consider. Don't just buy one because someone else uses it and says it's amazing. Their environment may be totally different to yours. The factors that are going to affect your purchase are cost, size, software, portability, features, and what you already have in terms of audio-visual equipment. Lighting is sometimes overlooked and depending on what you are capturing can make a huge difference. Starting with the most expensive option, the visualizer. Generally, classroom visualizers come with a large footprint meaning they take up a lot of desk space. They tend to have a high-quality downward-facing camera, lighting built-in top-down and even sometimes a backlit bed. They tend to allow control from the unit so there will be little or no need to move away from the device to operate. This may be useful if a lot of time is spent using the device or furniture obstructs movement. A lot of visualizers are also standalone meaning they work independently of your computer however, additional software can be installed to further augment the experience. Document cameras tend to be less expensive, have a smaller footprint and be more portable compared to visualizers however, they usually have less features and need a computer to use them. Although they are plug and play there is normally additional software available that will provide the ability to capture still and moving images, zoom in and out like a visualizer but normally control is via the computer it is attached to. Generally, they do not feature built-in lighting but tend to have a built-in microphone. The cheapest option, the webcam is plug and play and may have additional software however, the previous devices are designed for projecting something desk-based to an audience. The webcam is designed to work in a different way but can be more versatile especially if you move rooms frequently. You need a computer to plug it into, some come with flexible arms and a base you can plug it into but like the document cam, they are restricted by the length of the USB cable. Now we have an idea of what the devices are capable of the next question is what do you already have? Do you have an interactive board? If so imaging a pupil's book with a cheaper webcam and using pinch zoom and annotation may do the job. Or in a bright setting an HD webcam may do the trick. In the past the rule was the higher the price the better quality of image. Today that isn't necessarily so. My conclusion is before you spend out, do your research and consider the fitness of the device for your environment and your value for money. And please talk to your school technical support before you purchase anything. Sometimes devices are not compatible with school networks. For a visual version of this episode check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods' screen reader and that was 2 Minute Tech. 2 Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. It's the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, and I'm talking to Amanda McLeod, Chair of the National Handwriting Association, and Dan Wright, Deputy Head Teacher, and Senko. Amanda, can you hear me? Fabulous, loud and clear. And Dan, still here? I am still alive and kicking, thank you. Thank you. Um, I am. I will just say, I love uh, Robo Steve uh, Reader doing our, our tech expert has uh, lost his voice and so is using technology to still be able to do an audio radio show, which I, it, it, I don't know, I just love that. There's something about that that I love. Um, and talking about overcoming barriers, well, that's what we're talking about in this little section of the show. Um, 
Dan, I'm going to go to you first this time. If you could tell me some of the barriers people come to you also you know to ask you about uh, when when children are struggling or having difficulties with handwriting what sort of things are are the barriers that they could face okay uh, just before i answer that i just need to go off topic slightly just because i'm conscious that a massive part of why we handwrite and, and certainly what brought me back to handwriting um is that notion of John Sweller cognitive load. And I just want to get that out there, that the idea is that if you're having to amass lots of higher level thought processes, but you're putting all of your thinking, all of your working memory into how you hold a pen, staring at the letter, recalling the letter, that's really going to slow you down. If you're thinking, I can't remember what an F looks like because it goes above the other letters and still comes down the line and it's all swirly and all over the place. Suddenly you forgot that your teacher has asked you to do a sentence that has a colon in it and that you need to link that with the last piece of information. So actually, it's really, really important that we do tackle this issue quickly, as low down as possible, because we want those children entering those higher thought processes we don't want the handwriting to be a barrier so they will come and ask me they will come and speak to me um, and something that we've just um, taken on board this year at snakewood primary school in bullwell is that we now give a dedicated 10 minutes every single day to every class just practicing our handwriting um, and we are we are focusing on one letter at a time and people will learn that letter. They'll understand that letter. There'll be lots of teacher talk. Um, as Amanda mentioned earlier, how we how we go over and come back round and then down. And we might we might do our whole 10 minutes on that. And it's short and it's fast and it's pacey. It's meant to be like phonics. And they'll play races. They'll play games. They'll have blindfolds and just have to rely on the sense of the feeling. And then they look back and they can't believe how good it is compared to what they thought it would be. Um, and then we build on that slowly. So maybe the next day we'd learn Ds. We've just done A and now we're going to learn D. It's a similar pattern. Then when they're higher up the school, they'll start linking the A and Ds and putting them together because they need to know what it looks like. They need to know how it feels and they need to be able to link those together. So as a first, as a first port of call, it's whole class teaching, it's quality teaching, and it's allowing everyone to benefit from that practice. Beyond that, how we put in other supportive measures, well, it could be getting things like a slope uh, for the writing, because that might help a certain student with the position. It might be giving children a, an opportunity to try different material. My son always found it very, very difficult to press down hard on the page. And when he wrote in pencil, you could you could barely read it. But I switched that out for a, um, a sketching pencil that was much darker. And suddenly um, his writing bloomed. Equally, there'll be other children who, who get a pen and will write better with a pen. Try a few pens, try Bix, try fast flowing gels, try something. Let the wand choose the wizard, give them a go. Um, and then beyond that, you have to drill down even further and perhaps have certain frames where they're actually spending time just practicing different motions. That might be C's, it might be zigzags and just getting that in there. But that regularity, that daily dose, that real practice is what's going to help strengthen their, their mind, body and understanding of the practice the most. 
I'm stealing Let the Wand Choose the Wizard, Dan. I'm having that's mine now. That is I love that as an idea about sort of, you know, this individuality of, of understanding the child and understanding, particularly with the conversations we had about left handedness. We've had a, a tweet in from uh, Cassie Young uh, just saying that handwriting was always one of those things that never feels like it's getting cracked. Uh, lefty trauma so I'm assuming that she's outing herself as a, a left-hander as did Mal who's listening in in the studio um, uh, you know we, we obviously have left-handers in the profession who who, who want to share the kind of what they they uh, experienced I guess uh, calling it trauma suggests it wasn't very good um, I would say um, Amanda what what barriers are there to handwriting you know people could be behind I guess if they haven't had the the, the adequate um, uh, quality first teaching as Dan um, talked about there but are there other things that can can get in the way of finding that automatic the word I can't say the the automaticity automaticity that's the one yeah well firstly I'd like to say I'd like to go to Dan's school because everything he mentioned is on my list of things to mention i absolutely seriously want to come and see what you're doing in your school please um uh, so uh, barriers uh, certainly uh, again uh, um uh, dan mentioned them you can have uh, lots of barriers that can um impact on handwriting confidence uh, this can be um uh, emotional trauma as well um it's quite interesting um that there's been some research in children who have PTSD from uh, experiences in their uh, in their previous lives, and that handwriting can be severely impacted from that. If you've got any form of of, of send difficulty, special education needs, disabilities. Uh, the handwriting is going to be impacted um, straight away. And um, as the dash speed of handwriting test shows, um, what with the working memory and the speed of processing, uh, most SEND children are, if, if they can achieve a handwriting that is legible for them for speed, they are eventually going to end up uh, using a laptop and hopefully touch typing. Other barriers, again, the motor difficulties that will make a difficulty. English is an additional language, incorrectly taught letters. And dysgraphia is sort of a new buzzword that's coming out. Um, but actually dysgraphia, which can, which is basically bad handwriting and very hard to read handwriting, can only be diagnosed in the absence of any cognitive, motor or send reason. Um, Dan also talked about things that he'd like to see in a class. I would certainly like to see a school doing his order of teaching, which of letters, which is looking at the letter families. Um, he mentioned um, slanted boards. I would advocate as well assorted desks and chairs of different sizes. Pupils are different heights and they all need to be able to get their feet on the floor and the, the, the right um, writing position for optimum handwriting. Um, children not 
not sitting back in their seats when writing. So taught the correct way to um, sit. Talked about paper slanted correctly. I've, um, Dan's already mentioned different types of pens and uh, uh, paper. Um, you can have tracing paper to, um, or that old type of um, carbon paper to try and reduce pressure. So if children are making an imprint um, um, five sheets down, then they can try and bring themselves up so they gradually to um, reducing the pressure on their paper. Again, pressure can be a motor problem. Handwriting talked the whole way up the school. Um, a review of handwriting rules at the start of each year. I advocate that the first reception assembly um, should always be a handwriting assembly, that the reception children can say, we've learned that L, T, I, U, Y, and J are all straight down letters. And, uh, and that helps, and, and these are ascenders. And that helps to remind the years one to six of their handwriting rules. I'd like to see patterning sheets available on tables um, for uh, free use and also um, uh, at the start of every lesson, no matter what talk, what 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 class and what subject, a line of straight down patterns, a line of bump patterns, a line of the wave C letter patterns, a line of zigzag patterns are just done. You've done your heading, you've done your date, you've done your learning objective. Just do your lines of patternings, aiming to build the sort of speed with automaticity and keep the legibility in the patterns as well. I'd like to see small group teaching so that teachers can see whether a child is writing and in, uh, forming a letter incorrectly. Um, and we've talked about um, the obsession for neatness. We don't want this. And an insistence to schools' handwriting schemes. So I've seen some children come in forming an F um, differently and having to, it, correctly, but differently, but having to stop forming it that way and try to form it in the new style and then that means they never get their um, automaticity. I think I've said an awful lot. Well, I am going to put something out there because it was one of the the, the, the kind of things that we talked. Um, uh, so you, um, you talked a lot about things you would like to see and th this didn't come up and you touched on, you know, both of you touched kind of on the, the need to practice and, we, and we're looking for something here. Um, pen licenses, right? So I'm going to describe this to you in its, in its worst sense. And this is something I have done. So this is not me shaming anyone apart from myself, but I remember it brought to light for me, a parent of a year four child came to me because their child was going to get the uh, pen license and be allowed to write in pen as was the school's policy at the time because they had submitted a neat and I, I choose to say the word neat there rather than any other word that we have been using about handwriting a neat page of writing that they had submitted and it had been judged uh, to be neat enough and the parents issue was that their child as far as they were concerned watching their child write wasn't um uh, didn't have a good posture was writing had written that piece incredibly slowly and they were worried that as they went further on hopefully to you know higher education and such like it if they thought that this was the way to do it it would be a barrier to them later on the you know the child would was to be awarded their pen so uh, there's a lot to unpick there but what do we think about 
pen licenses being given in in those kind of situations i'm going to start with dan pen uh, licenses well, i've i've done it myself i've worked in a school where we gave out pen licenses and once a child had been writing neat enough and could do it regularly um then they were given a pen license that often i found hamp hampered their writing and thinking back from what i know now from the research that they'd have been thinking a lot about that because they needed their handwriting to be neat to get on good pen and if you had a pen license that made you a good writer so suddenly they're not thinking about the grammar they're not thinking about the context they're not thinking about their ideas um on the other side of that, and I've mentioned it before, we've got those those boys and some girls as well um, who did don't get on too well with handwriting, who go on never get those pens, and they're at a complete loss. So I, I wouldn't want to see pen licenses. And as I mentioned before, with the whole um, let the one choose the wizard, it's about finding the right tool for the child. They shouldn't have to work towards a better tool. Like if they're struggling with a pencil and they're better with a pen, give them the pen. Um, similarly, there was um, I just wanted to pick up on something from what Amanda said with the, the different Fs. Like in our school, we teach two different styles of Fs because some people might want to do the big loop. Some people find it more difficult. Sometimes when you join, you come back on yourself. So we say don't join those. There's nothing in the national curriculum that says they all need to be joined, just that they can use a joined style. So just do the letters that work for you. So, again, it's about drilling down and finding what's right for the individual child, not a prescriptive set system, because we've lured ourselves into a false sense of security where we think if we've got a policy for everything and we've got the three eyes, we'll have nailed it. We won't. We'll have missed the we'll have missed the point. Um, I'm going to read out a message that we've had uh, sent in from Miss Saucia, who said, um, broke my autistic son's heart that he didn't get a pen license until after uh, uh, just uh, peers, years after his peers. Um, he would skip words, especially conjunctions. Handwriting was extremely good for his age, really damaged his confidence. Amanda, how do you feel about the, this use of handwriting licenses to earn a pen? I absolutely hate them. It's fine for the winner, but it's awful for everybody else. And it is horrific for the SEND child. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story of when I was in reception and I'm 50. So I can, the fact that I can still remember this story is quite important. Uh, it was not to do with pen licenses, but the same type of thing. There was a, a board up and it was if you could tie your shoelace. And I remember everybody ticked off and I was the second last person to get it. And I was desperate not to be the last. It, the pressure, it was excruciating. That pen license is the same. It is totally unneeded um, uh, and it, 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 it destroys confidences. Uh, I also hate the handwriting board for good handwriting because there are some children, more often than not, the SEND children, who are not going to get the really good handwriting and they never get up on that board. So that's equally damaging. Um, however, what I would say is if a pen is, um, when the pens are eventually given, they do need to be taught 
how to use them. I once had a child come to me for handwriting lessons, really proud because they'd be given a pen that day. It was a fountain pen. Child picked it up and was holding the pen upside down and trying to write with it. Now, the ink was just about coming out because it was a, a modern fountain pen as opposed to a calligraphy pen. And I said, haven't you been taught how to hold the pen? And, I, and, and, and the child said no. So it, there were so many things that we can talk about here, but pen licenses, no. I Fantastic. It seems to be the way, you know, I think hopefully it is something that is, is in the past now, but certainly, uh, you know, at a time maybe... 10 five ten years ago certainly i think that 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 was the way and you know hopefully uh, for all of those reasons i would agree that it is on its way out now we are wrapping up at the end of the show and it's been a lovely show getting really in depth about some of these things you know the, the amount that i've got written down on on my notepad next to me um particularly some of it in using your tips for left-handers you know has been fantastic um we want to end with a few little kind of final thoughts, wishes, hopes for handwriting as we go into the future for takeaways. Um, so if we start with Dan, uh, a takeaway thought for our listeners before we wrap things up. Thank you. I, I think if there's, if there's one thing to take away, it's that understanding that there's so much to writing and actually, children can succeed so much more than they are doing if handwriting's a barrier. And if schools would give that curriculum time, that time on the timetable for that regular practice to develop the skill of a tool that they need day in, day out with quality first teaching, quality first modelling and that quality first feedback, that is going to just open up everything not for that child but then their access to the rest of the curriculum so just make time for it fantastic and uh, same question to amanda your final takeaway thoughts for the listeners I absolutely agree. We've talked a lot about the motor side and building that up and the teaching of the letters. Um, within the key stage two, it needs to be kept um, on, a, on a sort of daily thought of, and you can do things to build up the speed. You can do things like handwriting, high frequency word races, even if it is um, you know, science lessons and they're trying to learn how to spell periodic, get them to get them to write periodic really quickly because that's working on the learning of the word as well as handwriting um, and always aim for legibility and speed. And very last thing, may I say, um, um, the National Handwriting Association is a charity and we do insets as well as um, offer advice if anybody needs it. We uh, love our members we'd love to have more members because we're there to promote handwriting within the uk and we'd love more fantastic well hopefully after hearing these passionate uh, arguments for the increase in use of handwriting hopefully more people will be heading your way um i will be saying nostar good night um from here in wales to all of our listeners thank you so much for joining in we've had emails we've had uh, tweets and we've had texts as well and it's been live and that is why we're here uh, teachers talk radio tune in talk it out nostar everyone good night You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio 
Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.